Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. In 2015, a singer-songwriter by the name of Jonathan Steigard wrote a song that really grabbed my attention. This song is called Sold Out. It's a song that displays a message about being totally, completely sold out to Jesus Christ. And I thought the lyrics were so powerful that I wanted to share with you the second verse, the pre-chorus and the chorus. It says this, the second verse says this, This ain't just some temporary phase. You can't face this kind of grace and leave the way you came. This is permanent with intent, and there won't be no stopping it now. I am on a mission, and it's heaven sent. The pre-chorus says this, In a world full of followers, I'll be a leader. In a world full of doubters, I'll be a believer. I'm stepping out without a hesitation because the battle's already been won. And listen to the chorus. He said, I'm sold out. I'm no longer living just for myself. Running after Jesus with all my heart. And now I'm ready to show I am sold out. I am sold out with every single step that I take now. With every drop of blood left in my veins, I'm going to make it count. I am sold out. That song was written in 2015. 2020 has brought us a lot of bad news from the debates about quarantine and the pandemic to a worldwide disease that has spread all over the world. But I submit to you that all of that news is trivial in my mind and doesn't compare to the horrific news that I'm about to share with you from the same words of this singer-songwriter named Jonathan Steingard. You see, on May 20th, on May 20th, 2020, Jonathan came to the forefront of the world, who, by the way, is the lead singer of a very popular Christian band by the name of Hawk Nelson. And he said these words on May the 20th on a social media post on Instagram. He said, after growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band, and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I am now finding that I no longer believe in God. In his post, he went on to elaborate on a question that many have asked. So were the lyrics that you penned and coined lies or were they truth? And he said, at one time I believed them to be true, but now I no longer do. As he continued to move forward in his discussion on that post, he began to share that, that this was not an overnight decision. It was not something that was just thought about for one week or one month, but it was multiple months and, and a couple of years in the making. And he said that when his band was traveling, he didn't want to harm, more or less, their record sales and streams and downloads. So he waited until a time when the band was no longer at the forefront of the Christian scene playing music. 
and he came out with the news. Much of that was to respect his band peers and to provide for his family. All that to, to lead me to ask a few important questions that we have to ask as we come to Hebrews chapter 6. Can a person who is saved ever become unsaved? Can a person who is born again ever become unborn again? Can a person lose their salvation? Today, as we come to Hebrews chapter 6, I submit to you that the, the emphasis of this chapter is not about salvation. The emphasis of this passage is about repentance. In fact, let's keep in mind that, that the Bible in its entirety teaches us that in John's gospel chapter 10, the Bible says that Jesus said that his sheep are in the palm of the Father's hand and no man can pluck them out of his hand. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, the last two verses, that nobody or nothing can separate us from God's love. In Philippians chapter 1, the Bible says that, that we are confident that God who began a good work will perform it until the day that He calls us home. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We see that the Bible clearly reveals that once a person is saved, they are saved until God calls them home. So the question we have to ask is, was Jonathan Steingard born again? The passage here that we're embarking in is an extension of a warning passage. In chapter 5, verse 11, all the way down to chapter 6, verse number 12, this is the third warning that the writer of Hebrews is giving. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read that the first warning was a warning of drifting away from God. In chapter 3, bleeding into portions of chapter 4, we see that the second warning is about having a hardened heart towards God. And then in chapter 5, we saw last week that the beginning of this warning is, is the warning of having dull ears and refusing to listen and hearken to the voice of God. And now as the writer of Hebrews transitions into chapter 6, I believe it's these four words that is on the forefront of his mind, and it is these four words I want to label as my sermon title today. Move forward, not backward. Move forward, not backward. In fact, if I could summarize the content of my sermon today with one statement, it is this statement. The Christian life is about moving forward in your walk with Christ, not backwards. I believe that is the emphasis of these eight verses. That is, the writer of Hebrews is urging these people to move forward in their walk with Jesus Christ and not go backward to the Old Testament law system that they once were a part of. Now, all that being said, we're going to address the question of someone, if somebody can lose their salvation later on in this message. But right now, I want to draw your attention to this question. How can we move forward in our walk with Jesus Christ? I believe that this passage reveals three areas in which are three requirements that the Bible says here that, that if we want to walk with Christ and move forward, we have to do these things. In verses 1 through 3, we're going to speak about the first one. And then in verses 4 through 6, we're going to speak about the second one. And then in verses six and, excuse me, verses 7 and 8, we're going to read and discuss the third and final requirement of walking forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ. May I draw your attention to the first three verses? It is in these first three verses I wrote down this first thought. 
If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual maturity is required. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual maturity is required. The very first word of this section of Scripture is therefore. Would you say that with me? Therefore. Say it again, please. Therefore. As we've shared before, whenever you read the term therefore, you have to figure out why it's therefore. And, and by the way, I do not believe that, that this term is just connecting the last few verses to the verses that he's about to share. I really believe that this term, therefore, is connecting the last five chapters with what the writer of Hebrews is about ready to discuss and to share with his listening audience. And he says, therefore, leaving the principles, this word principle is literally means the elementary principles, the elementary tenets of the body of belief surrounding Jesus Christ. In theology, we call it Christology. So here, the writer of Hebrews has in mind for the first five chapters a Christological view of God the Son. That is, he's emphasizing what Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ means in correlation to the Old Testament. And as he comes here, he says, let us set aside these elementary doctrines that you should already be aware of and you've already heard and you should already be consumed with and understand. And let us move on to perfection. That word perfection, it gives the idea of spiritual maturity. In chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the Old Testament prophets and he discusses how Jesus Christ is way greater and better than all of those prophets. In chapter 2, we read how the writer of Hebrews moves forward and he speaks about these angelic beings. And he says these angelic beings do not compare to the greatness of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the character of Moses, probably the greatest character in the Old Testament. And he says that Jesus Christ is far greater than Moses, the one who penned with his own hand, the first five books of the Bible. In chapter 4, we see that the writer of Hebrews moves forward and speaks about the one who came after Moses named Joshua. And he says this Old Testament character, Joshua, does not compare to the greatness of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, we see him emphasizing that Aaron, the high priest, doesn't compare to the great high priest. Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying that Jesus Christ is literally the greatest that there ever was, the greatest that there ever is, and the greatest there ever will be. But here we move from speaking about the greatness of Jesus Christ to the inability of the Old Testament in of itself. And I believe that in verses 1, 2, and 3, the writer of Hebrews is literally saying this thought, the New Testament is greater than the Old Testament. I know that might sound strange to you to hear me say that the New Testament is far greater than the Old Testament, but hear me out. The Old Testament is incomplete without the New Testament. You see, the Old Testament predicted the Messiah would come and lays the foundation of all that would typify of Jesus Christ. And so if we did not have the New Testament, we would not have all that fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of back in the days of the prophets. And if we study the Old Testament in of itself, it fails in the New Testament revelation of revealing that the Messiah that was spoken of in the Old Testament is the New Testament figure named Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe all Scripture is profitable. Yes, I believe the Old Testament is important. But the New Testament is the key 
to understanding the Old Testament. And without the New Testament, you will never properly understand the chapters, the verses, the passages, the books of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi. With that in mind, we see that the writer of Hebrews emphasizes the six major doctrines of the Old Testament. And he emphasizes how all of this is really fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And here he says, if you want spiritual maturity, let us stop talking about these matters of Jesus Christ that you should know he's greater than all these Old Testament characters. You should know he's greater than, than the angelic beings. And now let us move forward to spiritual maturity. Let us, let us listen up to God's word. And let us grow up in God's word. Notice the phrase here we see in verse number one. It says, laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Here is the first major doctrine of the Old Testament. Repentance from dead works. Repentance is a change of mind. It is a change of mentality. And here we see that the Old Testament, I believe, is being kept in mind here. And I really think that, that I want to suggest to you that repentance from dead works, the phrase dead works, is, is going back to the Old Testament Levitical law system. And they had to do all of these works. They had to do all of these practices, all of these rituals. And he says, now it is the time to change your whole mentality about those Old Testament practices. Because they were ultimately foreshadowing the greatest ritual, the greatest sacrifice ever to come, Jesus Christ. Then he moves forward and speaks about faith toward God. I find it so humorous at times. I guess I could say it is a cynical humor. When people come to me and say, when I'm sharing the gospel of Christ with them, and they say, well, I believe in God, as if that is going to help them in their standing with God. Here, the Bible is suggesting us that faith in God alone cannot save you. Faith in the Old Testament practices cannot save you. In fact, Satan himself believes. The demonic spirits believe that there is one God, James chapter 2, verse 19 says, and they tremble. In other words, they fall down to him and shudder. Today, you need to understand this, that God equals Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ equals God. And if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you do not have saving faith. You see, unless you believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh and that he lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose victoriously from the grave and he's coming back again to establish his kingdom, if you do not accept that gospel, then you do not know the triune God of the Bible that was spoken of in the Old Testament and was fully revealed through the New Testament in Jesus Christ. He moves on and says, the laying on or excuse me, he says, of the doctrine of baptisms. This teaching and concept of the baptismal rituals of the cleansing. Pastor Dave just emphasized a few moments ago that when somebody takes a shower, that you're literally cleaning yourself on the outside. You can't clean yourself on the inside by taking a shower. Only the water of the Word of God can, can sink down into your soul and cleanse you from all of your sins. In fact, Titus chapter 3 speaks about how it, it literally says these words. It says, 
It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We read in John chapter 3 where the Bible says you must be born again. You have to have that spiritual regeneration that can only come through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God and through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here he says, lay aside all these ritualistic cleansing that you did in the Old Testament and let us accept the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ from the cross. Then he says, laying on of the hands. This Old Testament concept was, was that the, the priest most likely in mind here, remember in chapter 5 he emphasized the high priest, and he has in mind most likely the high priest or some of the priests where they would come and they would bring these doves, they would bring these lambs, and they would place these animals on the altar, and they were without spot, without blemish, and there they would sacrifice these animals as a picture of the sacrificial lamb of God that would come later on in the future. And he says, instead of laying your hands on these doves and these turtle doves and these little lambs, lay a hold on the Lamb of God who is able to save you and cleanse you from all of your sins. And then he speaks about the resurrection from the dead. This is an Old Testament concept. It was not only in the New Testament. You see, in the, uh, let me explain this to you. When I went to Israel, I was standing on the top of Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is the place where we believe, according to Scripture, that Jesus Christ is going to return and He's going to place His foot on that mountain. And as I'm standing on that mountain, if you would, just have in your mind that, that dome, that gold dome, that, that, that Islamic dome on the other side. So I'm standing on the mountain, you look across the way, and there's this Islamic building. And between myself and the Mount of Olives and the Islamic building, there's this huge valley. And in this valley, it is very, I thought it was the most interesting place to have a cemetery. But on top of the Mount of Olives, there was tomb after tomb after tomb after tomb, casket after casket after casket. And see, they didn't place them inside the ground. They had a, a big vault on top of the ground. And there, instead of placing flowers on top of the vault, they would take rocks and they would place the rocks there to honor their loved one's memory. Why would the Jews do that? Well, because they believed in the resurrection day that the writer of Hebrews is speaking of. And Jesus talked about that with Martha in John chapter 11, about raising Lazarus from the dead. She said, I know that, there, that we'll all be raised in the day of resurrection. And Jesus says, no, my dear friend, no, my dear lady, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And may I say to you, that if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you will never die like the world will die. We will go on to live in eternity with Jesus Christ and we will be raised to walk in newness of life, as we say all the time. Then it says eternal judgment. You see, the doctrine of hell is not exclusive to the New Testament only. The doctrine of hell is back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's both. But we see that the New Testament revelation unpacks this doctrine in a greater capacity than the Old Testament did. We read that in, in Jesus' words. We read that in the book of Revelation where the Bible says when the books are open and, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. And that is the second death. Judgment is coming. And it begins with the house of God. And so these two verses are literally saying that the Old Testament... Revelation is incomplete without the New Testament revelation. You can go and study the Old Testament all you want to. 
But until you open up God's word of the New Testament, you will not fully understand it. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual maturity is required. That means going into God's word and studying it further and deeper and trying each day to gain a greater understanding of Jesus Christ and his word. And then verse number three. Many have shared their thoughts on this verse, but really there's only two ways that you can really go with this verse. The Bible says, and this we will do, or this will we do, if God permit. Some have said, I will go on and teach you what, what you need to know if God permits or allows me. Or the verse is saying, you will go on to maturity if God allows. I believe it's a combination of both. Because we know the writer of Hebrews goes on for several chapters later, all the way to the 13th chapter, and he elaborates on many of these things that he's about to, that he's kind of introducing them right here and right now. And then, most likely, these Hebrew believers, they grew in their knowledge and understanding of Christ, and they matured. They grew up, which the modern church today needs to do. If we want to move forward in our walk with Christ, let us lay a hold of spiritual maturity. Listen, the Christian life is about moving forward in your walk with Christ, not backwards. The message of this passage is move forward, not backward. And that leads me to the second thought today from verses 4, 5, and 6. Here's what I wrote down secondly on how can we move forward in our walk with Christ. Well, there's three requirements, and requirement number one is spiritual maturity, but the second requirement is this. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual perseverance is required. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual perseverance is required. Verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6 is often a neglected passage of Scripture. I remember the first time that I read these words, it made me have a major doubt on what I was taught in the Baptist church, such as eternal security, which I would prefer to call it the security of the believer. Today, as we come to these three verses, there's been so many heated and, and heavy discussions and debates among scholarship throughout the centuries, especially pertaining to Arminian theology and Reformed theology or Calvin theology. And, and I want you to know this, that my discussion today and my sermon today is not going to solve all of the problems within Christendom about this passage. But I want to share with you the four major views. And by the way, before I share these views with you, as I was researching this passage, there are over 20 different interpretations on how to handle this, these three verses. And that leads me to believe this, that these three verses are literally the most, if not the most, controversial verses in the New Testament alone. And that is why pastors, that is why churches want to avoid them like the Black Plague. But I seek not to avoid them. I seek to try my best to gain a greater understanding of what these difficult passages mean. And some have said, number one, these verses are revealing the sin of apostasy. And when you get into verse number six, the Bible says, if they shall fall away. And that phrase literally means apostatizing. That it means renouncing a belief system that they once held to. The second view is the make-believer. That here the writer has in mind that, that what he's speaking of here is, is that these people who have professed to know Jesus Christ, but they were never born again to believe with. And I do like what J. Vernon McGee said about this. He said, I believe in the assurance of the believer and the non-assurance of the make-believer. <laughs> so good. Then the third one, 
which is popularized by Charles Ryrie, is the hypothetical case that the writer of Hebrews is, is ushering a severe, strong warning that is all hypothetical in mind. And that th this verse says that if there is somebody who can lose their salvation, then they can never receive it back again. And then the other one, the fourth one is this, that these Jewish believers committed a sin in their day that they could only commit and nobody else could commit today. All that to say, here's what I believe this passage is teaching us. I believe Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 is an urgent warning against apostasy and an earnest plea for perseverance. I believe this text is an urgent warning against apostasy and an earnest plea for perseverance. Remember, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he's urging them to persevere and not drift. In chapter 3, he's urging them to persevere and not harden their hearts. And here we see he's urging them to persevere in their faith and do not apostatize from the full revelation of God found in Jesus Christ. By the way, in 1 John chapter 2, I asked myself this question. Was John Steinberg, Steingard, the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, ever born again? I submit to you he was not. Because 1 John tells us, chapter 2 verse 19, that if he was born again, he would have continued with us. And I wrote down this. Those who are born again will endure until the end. You see, those who are saved, those who are not truly saved or really saved or genuinely saved, those who are saved, period, are born again by God. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells them. And they will endure no matter the testing, no matter the trial, no matter the temptation life brings. May I say this? Just because somebody experiences the Word of God just because somebody experiences the Holy Spirit of God, just because somebody experiences the things of God, does not mean they are born again by God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? He said, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of heaven. He said, there's going to be some that have preached great sermons in my name. There'll be some that have prayed great prayers in my name. There's going to be some that have raised people from the dead in my name. Some that have healed those who are sick in my name. Cast out demonic spirits in my name. But I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. May I say, there will be some who will write great songs about the name of Christ, but they were never born again to begin with. You see, the Pharisees had an outward appearance of religiosity, but their inward condition was far polluted by iniquity and sin. And they didn't see their need for Jesus Christ and a Savior. Now, let's keep in mind here that there are some key words in these three verses. And that is the word enlightened, the word tasted, and the word partakers. And I want you to know this, that these, these verses here are, is all about repentance, not about salvation. And when I first read this, these verses as a high schooler, I, I was, began to be convinced that, that there was no security in my relationship with God and that, that there was something I could do that I could lose my salvation. But I submit to you, that's not what this passage is teaching us. In fact, if the Bible taught us that somebody could lose their salvation, don't you think that there would be a clear, distinctive example of somebody doing a specific sin, and that sin would be named specifically, and they could lose their salvation? 
But you know, from Matthew to Revelation, there is no specific sin mentioned that somebody could commit to lose their salvation. Now, the Bible says that we are not to continue in sin that grace may abound, of course. But here, the Bible is not emphasizing that these people in verses 4, 5, and 6 are saved. I believe the Bible is emphasizing these are people that have experienced and have been enlightened about God. But they've never saved. Notice the terminology. When we read Paul's writings, when we read Peter's writings and John's writings and James' writings, when they emphasize somebody who is saved, they use the word saved. They use the word redeemed. They use the word reconciled. They use the word born again. They use the, the word justified, sanctified, glorified, elect, predestined. They use all of these terms that are associated with salvation. But in these verses, there's none of these terms used. The word enlightened. In verse number 4a, it literally means to shed rays upon, to shine light upon, to brighten up, to enlighten, to illuminate, to bring to light, and to make one be able to be seen. So here, all that's being said here is that, that, that this individual, whoever he's speaking of, has been enlightened and made fully aware of the full revelation of God found in Jesus Christ. The word tasted is technically only used two times, but I believe it, it is meant to be used three times. It says tasted of the heavenly gifts. Then it says in verse number five, tasted of the good word of God. And then the same idea, tasted the powers of the world to come. The word tasted, it literally means experience. It means to experience. So he says these people have been enlightened about God's word and about Jesus Christ. These people have experienced the heavenly gifts. They've experienced the good word of God, they've experienced the powers that are going to come in the world to be. And then it says, partakers of the Holy Spirit. This word partakers, it means to be in association with. Did you know you can be associated with Clearbrook Baptist Church, but not be born again? Did you know you can be associated with the church of Jesus Christ, but not be born again? You could be associated with the name of Jesus Christ and not be born again. I wonder, does God know you? Do you know God? Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? Here, the emphasis here is these people, they, 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 they receive the full revelation of the Word of God, especially pertaining to Jesus Christ, how He is literally the fulfillment of all the law, and He's cautioning them, and He says, do not drift, do not, do not go back to the Old Testament system from which you came from. And that leads us to verse 6. It says, if they shall fall away, apostatizing. This means to fall aside. It means to fall away. It means to apostatize. To the word apostasy, it literally means to renounce what somebody once believed. So check it out now. Just a food for thought. For many Arminians in the world who would hold that this passage teaches that you can lose your salvation. It does not, by the way. But verse 6 reveals that if it did say that, then if you lost your salvation, you would never get it again. <laughs> but that's not what it's speaking of. That's just food for thought. It says, if they shall fall away, to renew them again into repentance, seeing that they crucified on themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So here, I believe the writer of Hebrews has in mind that, that Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled all the law, all the prophets, and he died on the cross, and, if, and he rose victoriously from the grave, and he ascended up on high. And we believe in his mind, he says, we believe he's going to come back again just like we do today. And he says, if you go back to the Old Testament system of the Levitical law, you are literally taking Jesus Christ and you're going to crucify him on the cross again and listen as he says later on Jesus did that once and once and for all 
Perseverance is the key that unlocks this passage. You know, we talk about the Lazarus church age. That is the dead church age. I don't believe we're no longer in the dead church age. I don't believe we're even in the modern church age. I don't even believe we're in the postmodern church age. You know what I believe? I believe we are in the apostate church age. I believe we're living in a generation who is fully made aware and fully understood the things pertaining to Jesus Christ and His Word. And this generation, this world has said, I want no more to do with this thing called the Christian faith. They were never born in, into the family of God. And they have said, I don't want it any longer, so get it out. So it no longer surprises me that schools do not want prayer in schools. It no longer surprises me that people grow up in homes that do not revere and reverence the very words of Scripture. It no longer surprises me that the church is now apostatized in their view of marriage. And they can't figure out if it's between a man or a woman. It doesn't surprise me that the church is apostatized in their view of hell and eternal torment, separation from God in a terrible place the Bible describes as the lake of fire. It no longer surprises me that the church is apostatized in the view of salvation by faith alone. We live in an apostate church age. So we look out into our world. It should not surprise us of all the utter turmoil and mess that's going on. It should not surprise me that people who are well known in Christendom who have said, I no longer believe because first of all, they were never born again to believe to begin with. Today, I, I, I want to remind you that in 2007, in the summer of 2007, I became a member of this church. Praise God for that. In the summer of 2011, I became the pastor by the grace of God and, and by your tender, loving kindness and grace and mercy. God bless you. But throughout these years, I've watched year after year after year after year, just here. I've seen some of our fellow, maybe so-called, brothers, maybe so-called sisters, who have fallen away one by one. Today, I'm not here to name names. But we all know we have family members. We all know we have friends who once claimed to be a Christian and now have renounced that body of belief system. That is apostasy. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, now you've been fully aware of Jesus Christ. Do not apostatize and go backward to the Old Testament system. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual perseverance is required. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual maturity is required. The Christian life is about moving forward in your walk with Christ, not backwards. The point of the passage is move forward, not backward. And that leads me to verses 7 and 8, the last two verses. And I wrote down this. As we seek to answer the question, how can we move forward in our walk with Christ? Thirdly, I wrote down this. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual blessing is required. If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual blessing is required. Here the Bible illustrates, the writer of Hebrews gives us a great illustration about how the earth drinks the water from above and the water that sinks into the soil of the ground, it fuels that, the, 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 the soil to, to bring forth herbs and plants and seeds. And that, in a sense, is like receiving the blessing of God. But then he says, 
There are some that have thorns and briars, and they are rejected. In fact, they are cursed, whose end will be to be burned. As I read these verses here, I, I, I couldn't help but think about the Lord's parable. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus speaks a parable. In fact, he uses a similar terminology in verse number 6 where it says, If they shall fall away. The parable, he says, it was a sower. And that sower went out to sow. And he sowed seed on good soil. And some on rocky soil. And he said the, the seed that fell upon the rocky soil and the bad ground fell by the wayside. But the seed that, that fell into the good soil harvested and produced fruit. To somebody like Jonathan Steingard, all he simply is is an individual who received the word of God, but it landed on the rocky soil of his heart and it did not sink in to transform him. And here, if we want to be blessed, we should not call down from, from heaven the rain and water. We should call God to send down his word into our souls. I think about Psalm number one, where it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Check it out now, listen to this. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Do you want to live a prosperous life? You want to live a successful life? It means to be anchored and planted to the very words of Christ. And when you're anchored and planted in this word, you're going to persevere. As we come to a conclusion, as I read these eight verses, there's really one character in Scripture that comes to my mind. I don't know why, but maybe the emphasis because of the subject of Moses earlier and their wilderness journey and their time in Egypt. But Pharaoh comes to my mind. And you know his story, how God sent Moses and Aaron to, to share God's word with him. And in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, we read about how Paul emphasized Pharaoh and his heart and heart. And here, we see that Pharaoh hardened his heart in such a way that God said, okay, you want a heart and heart? I'll give you a heart and heart. And he was consumed in his hardness of heart. I also think about Romans chapter 1, where the Bible speaks about a reprobate mind. How we can hear God's word over and over and over and over and over again and reject that full revelation of God. And then God's long-suffering, his patience will come to an end and he'll no longer extend his grace and mercy. This passage of apostasy I can't think of any greater passage to apply to our world today than this text. In spite of the controversial interpretational views, this passage is ultimately revealing to me that we're living in, an, in a church age of apostasy, and it's only the beginning of the great apostasy to come in the tribulational period. 
If you think what's going on in this age right now is bad, you wake up and read about what's going to happen in the tribulational period. My question for you is simple. Do you want to move forward in your walk with Christ or do you want to go backward? If you want to move forward in your walk with Christ, spiritual blessing is required and that's only found in God's word. Spiritual perseverance is required and it can only be attained by being genuinely born again by the power and blood and spirit of God. And then spiritual maturity is required. Listen, the Christian life is about moving forward in your walk with Christ, not backwards. Let us move forward, not backward. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.